All right, good to see you guys this morning. You may all be seated. The passage of Scripture I'm going to be preaching from today is an odd one. Paul is responding to a difficult situation in Corinth. If you are, for those of you that have been here, if you were thinking the Corinthians have a lot of difficult situations, you are correct. If the church in Corinth were a person, it would be the type of person who routinely, I don't even know if these shows exist anymore, but used to be on the Jerry Springer show or Judge Judy. That's the type of church Corinth is. It is a church filled with people struggling in the midst of a culture that has gone mad. Many churches today are filled with many people that are in similar situations. Today we are going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 through 16. If you prefer to use the Pew Bible, you can open that up now. It should just fall open to page 898 at this point, because that's where we've been for the past several weeks. For everyone else, the verses will be projected on the wall behind me. Let's read from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Now as a concession, not as a command... I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. In these verses, Paul is addressing relational scenarios that are playing out among the believers in Corinth. Christians today continue to face similar challenges. In this room, there are those who are single, married, separated, and divorced. Some are in relationships with believers, while others are not. These verses should be a comfort to all that are in challenging relational situations. 
Your struggles are not new. While your particular situation may be unique to you, it is also common. You are not alone. God is not caught off guard by a novel challenge. He has seen every relational dynamic before. We all need wisdom to navigate this world. Scripture gives us universal truths. It gives us specific commands. Applying those truths and commands requires wisdom. Elsewhere in the Bible, we are told that God will give wisdom to those who seek it. The Holy Spirit imparts wisdom. In these verses, we get to see Paul apply God's wisdom to difficult situations. He starts out saying, I wish that all were as I myself am. He's talking about being single. Paul wishes everyone could handle being single like him. He recognizes that doesn't work for everyone, though. Not everyone is made for singleness. It depends on the person. Paul then gives a specific command to those that are married. He says the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Okay. Fair enough, but even this command has qualifications. Paul recognizes it takes two people to be married. If one partner separates from the other, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. To apply what Paul is saying in these verses, we need to know a little bit more about the situation in Corinth. While the challenges the people there faced were similar to our own, their society had different laws and expectations than our society. In general, men had more power in relationships than, women's did, than women did. The culture was very patriarchal. Under early Roman law, the oldest living male was the head of the family, or pater familias, and had absolute authority over his children, and to a lesser extent, his wife. This, this head male in a family could actually not be held accountable legally for killing people within their family. That was how far this authority extended, depending on a variety of circumstances. Legal marriage at the time was not the same as it is today. There were three main variations depending on class. Each type of marriage would seem strange to us for different reasons. In some cases, marriage limited husbands and especially wives severely. In other cases, they were bizarrely unattached to one another. In general, husbands could regain their independence through divorce, while wives could regain their own 
through separation. Taking what Paul says in these verses and applying it to our own context without any knowledge of how the cultures differ is a recipe for disaster. Divorce and separation meant different things in Corinth than they mean in the present day. They were very similar, but there's some variation there. There are situations where churches have encouraged abusive relationships to continue unimpeded based on a faulty understanding of these verses that makes no acknowledgement of the social situation Paul is speaking wisdom into. This has often led to real consequences. There have even been situations where people have died, where one spouse has murdered another based on advice given by church leaders who applied Paul's words without reflection to situations that were much different from what Paul had in mind as he wrote. Applying scripture to difficult situations wisely is not necessarily a simple matter. When the, when the right way to proceed is a black and white proposition, that is fantastic. While this is sometimes the case, it is often not. We have all experienced this in our lives. The challenge for the Christian is making decisions that are in line with God's guidelines in situations that are less than clear. That is what Paul is doing in these verses. He is applying wisdom in the gray area that life is often lived. We are called to do the same. In the paragraph that runs from verse 12 through 16 of 1 Corinthians 7, there are three precepts or general rules that address how difficulties in marriage should be handled. The first is that Christians should not be the ones initiating divorce. This hardly seems revolutionary to anyone who has spent much time in a church. If the take-home lesson today were Christians should not initiate divorces, I doubt many of you would let me know as you left today that, man, that was, that was just a life-changing sermon, right? Oh, oh, really? Divorce is not preferable. What are you going to tell us next, Pastor? You know, don't steal candy from children. For Christians, not initiating divorce goes beyond not just being the one to file the paperwork. That is not meeting God's expectations of us. Marriage is a spiritual covenant that God affirms more than it is a legal reality that the United States government recognizes. Marriage existed for millennia before there was paperwork involved. There are actually people <clears throat> that behave horribly in their marriages that think just because they didn't call a lawyer first, 
They are not responsible for the dissolution of the marriage. That's just silly. A person who abandons, abuses, or commits adultery is responsible for the divorce even if their spouse files first with the courts. Now, normally it's not that clean cut. The second precept is that Christians are called to actively seek the good of their spouse. Paul writes, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. He is saying to the people in the church in Corinth that they should stay in marriages. They would prefer to be out of with non-Christians for the good of their spouse. This is not an ideal marriage Paul is describing. Nonetheless, Christian husbands and wives are supposed to put the well-being of their spouses in front of themselves. Few have ever spoken to someone who is in a bad marriage. It is obvious how hard this is to do. The animosity that festers in bad marriages makes the Feelings that Red Sox fans had about Yankees fans at the height of that rivalry seem friendly by comparison, right? You ever walk into one of these marriages and you can just, you can just feel the daggers going back and forth? The third precept found in this paragraph has a balancing effect on the first two. When a spouse separates... In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. If Paul didn't say this, the first two precepts would lead to a situation where Christians are responsible for making marriages work no matter what. The Christian would be enslaved by the expectations, while Christians should certainly do everything they can to make a marriage work, it takes two people to be married. No, nobody, no matter how well-intentioned, can force someone else to stay married. Sacrificing, communicating, loving, correcting, cajoling, and demanding can all be necessary in marriage. Sometimes, despite every attempt being made, the marriage ends. A Christian who is married recognizing that despite their best efforts, their spouse has discontinued the marriage is not wrong for recognizing that truth as well. While Paul is talking about marriage relationships in the paragraph we just went through, what he is saying can be applied to any relationship. Many of you in here are single or divorced or widow. Christians should follow through on the relational commitments we have made. That's the first precept that's true of any relationship. Whereas the marriage covenant is until death, other commitments are for a limited period of time. There is no reasonable expectation that your relationship with your current boss is until death do you part. 
Although it might feel that way sometimes. The same can be said of for friendships. That being said, there are general expectations depending on the type of relationship you are in. Christians should go above and beyond in maintaining our end of the relational bargain. We should avoid being the one who prematurely ends relationships, if at all possible. In our relationships, we should seek the good of those we are in relationship with, whether they are Christians or not. That's the second precept. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. According to 2 Corinthians 5.20, God works through Christians to uplift and encourage the people that we are in relationship with. We are supposed to be salt and light in our relationship. Well, I don't have the same level of responsibility to the people I am not married to that I have to my wife, Anne. I do still have responsibility. A marriage is different from a friendship. A friendship is different from an employee-employer relationship. In all our relationships, we should recognize and seek the good we can extend to others as Christians. Following through on relational commitments and seeking the good of others are both things Christians should do. This does not enslave us relationally. You will find in bad relationships that at least one person in the relationship is good at making the other person feel enslaved. Guilt is often used to gain control in relationships. The person who's trying to maintain the upper hand may never say out loud, you owe me, but it doesn't take much reading between the lines to know how they think you do owe them. You cannot have a healthy relationship with someone that wants to control you. It is reasonable to set relational boundaries that are in keeping with the type of relationship it is. We should not be enslaved to any relationship. Sometimes it is necessary to end relationships where one person is not doing what is necessary for the relationship to continue. Paul writes, God has called you to peace. Peace is hard to find. I am very motivated by peace. I even, I like the sound of the word. It just sounds calming, peace. When I say it, my blood pressure drops a little bit. Peace is extremely hard to find in our world. Of all the things that the Bible lifts up as worthy of pursuit, peace might be the hardest to attain. 
The Bible talks about love and hope, faith and truth. Each may be uncommon in this world, but I do, I do experience them. I can pursue those things. Peace feels more out of reach. I wonder why that is. Part of the reason is probably that faith, hope, love, and truth are all things we can actively bring about. They are things that we can find in God. Peace in our relationships with other people isn't only the presence of something. It's the absence of a lot of things. Namely, peace is the absence of disunity or conflict. For there to be true peace, everyone has to be on the same page. Nobody can be operating within their own selfish agenda. The only place where peace can be found is in God. The more a relationship has God at its center, the more peace there should be in that relationship. The less God is involved, the more conflict there will be. God's presence eradicates the disorder that leads to the breakdown of relationships. It is our task as Christians, especially, especially in circumstances where we are the only Christian in whatever relationship, whether it be a marriage or at work or a friendship, it is, it is our job to bring God's peace into that relationship. It's not going to come from anywhere else because ultimately God is the only source of true peace. So where else are we expecting to find it? One of the big problems that Christians are guilty of in the presence is we've decided we don't need to be peacemakers anymore. We've decided that's weak or inferior or ridiculous. We hold up our own truths and beat people down with them. And this seems to be happening with increasing frequency in the present. And it's not just happening in Christians' engagement out in the world. It's not just drawing reasonable boundaries. It's happening within the church. There's plenty of evidence that Christianity in the United States is tearing apart at the seams. And when you seek to determine why, you will find a lot of divisive voices that believe they speak for God. It's not even that people are necessarily speaking untruths. The problem is often one of tone as much as it is one of content. Or a truth is brought to bear on a situation that calls for the prioritization of a different truth. Christians are supposed to be peacemakers. However, peace is not something we can propagate on our own without the participation of others. Pretty much everyone would say they want peace. But what some people mean when they say they want peace is they want everyone else 
to surrender to their desires. For such people, peace is synonymous with them getting their way 100% of the time without any impediments. This is not peace. It is a form of slavery we already addressed earlier in the sermon. The Bible is not asking you to submit to tyrannical relationships in the name of peace. There are some people that peace is not possible with. Neville Chamberlain was the British Prime Minister before World War II, in the very beginning of the war. And he returned from a meeting with Adolf Hitler on September 30th, 1938, proclaiming peace in our time to the British public. It was not long before it became apparent there could be no peace with a man like Hitler. In some cases, peace can only come through conflict or separation. Neither should happen if we can avoid it, but there are times it just can't be avoided. With peace being at least somewhat dependent on others' participation, what does it mean to be peacemakers as Christians? How do we live out God's call to peace in our lives? I wish I could, I wish I could give you a simple formula. I think we see Paul in these verses thinking through what it means to bring peace into situations that we are somewhat familiar with. But we have to remember that wisdom is required. Even those Christians that do well living out the relational precepts in these verses are not guaranteed peace. Being a peacemaker is more about intent. Our desire should be for peace. This does not mean our desire should be to get our own way means we should highly prioritize peace to the extent we can bring it about in a given relationship we should use every bit of wisdom god gives us to do so we should seek that wisdom from god relationships are part of every person's life while there are cultural variations in the norms that surround our interactions with others, there are also consistent patterns that are shared. Cultural norms differ from Corinth to our present experience. Many of the issues are similar. It's helpful to have a bit of cultural context so we can understand what the scripture is telling us. Knowing what we can see, knowing how Paul applies wisdom, helps us to do so today. The precepts rooted in God's unchanging truths still apply. Christians should be committed in our relationships, seeking the good of others without being enslaved. God calls us to peace. Peace requires us to have wisdom. The relational answers we seek are not easy. 
Nonetheless, to the extent it is within our power to do so, we should seek peace in all our relationships. Let's pray. Dear Lord, several of the songs we sang today focused on peace coming into the world. We wait with expectation for that ultimate peace that Jesus initiated through coming into this world. And as we wait, Lord, we pray that we would extend the peace of God in our own relationships, Lord. That you would give us the wisdom to do so. We live in a very divisive time where it is incredibly easy to respond with a quick text or a poorly thought out email. It is easy to see relationships break down. It is easy to focus on our own perspectives, Lord. We pray that you would give us the wisdom to engage in our relationships, to draw others to you through those relationships, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.